Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hey, thanks everyone. Really glad to have everyone joining us again for another DC Insider Employer Update podcast. And once again, we've got Bert and Nita with me. Hey, Bert. Hi, good morning. Nice to be here. Great to see you again. And Nita? Hi, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We sure are, because gosh, we have been just overrun with employers trying to figure out what they're going to do to respond to the new vaccine mandates that are really kind of crashing down on them at this point. So what we want to do is take a little bit of time, briefly review what those mandates are. But I think it's really helpful for us to try to get into what the exemptions are, and particularly the religious exemption. Let's start. Let's just talk briefly. What are the mandates? And I'm going to open up the first one is the federal sector, the federal employee uh, mandate. And there, of course, the president's authority is very great. He's like the CEO, if you will. If it were a private company, he'd be the CEO. And the president has declared for all federal employees, they're going to be vaccinated. They have a very rigorous vaccine mandate with only the narrowest of what the government is referring to as exceptions, that is for either religious purposes or to accommodate a medical condition. And David, when you talk about that, he also has very broad authority on federal contractors. And we see that in the federal contractor vaccine mandate, which covers all federal contractor employees and subcontractor employees who work on or in connection with the federal contracts. And that includes a wide variety of in-connection people, lawyers, HR people, billing people, and so forth. And then again, like the federal employer vaccine mandate with very limited exceptions for religion or medical. So then the next kind of new mandate that's coming on, and again, all of these obligations are unfolding right now. And the one that is still, we haven't seen the details yet, but the president has announced it, is by OSHA, the Occupational Safety Health Administration. And it is going to promulgate what's called an emergency temporary standard. And what that means is that that new standard will go into effect as soon as it's published, and we don't get to see it in advance or comment on the specific proposed standard. But what the president has indicated is that the new OSHA standard will require either vaccination or testing. So a little different than the pure vaccine mandate, It's vaccination or testing for employers that have 100 or more employees. So that's still coming in the next, we believe, week or two, but that will apply nationwide as soon as it's published, anyone with 100 or more employees. So that's very significant. And that's another mandate that involves vaccines. Yeah. And, you know, there's still one more that people seem to overlook. It's the CMS, the Center for Medicare Services. This is a mandate that will address uh, an unusual pocket of vaccine resistance among healthcare workers. The expected mandate will apply to all employees of most healthcare providers that receive either Medicare or Medicaid reimbursements. 
Unfortunately, it's still in draft. It's like others anticipated in October, and compliance will be a condition of continued participation in any of the CMS reimbursement programs. Uh, like the federal contractor's mandate, the healthcare mandate is not expected to conclude a voluntary testing program, and all the other alternatives are the same as the contractors. So we're waiting to see it, but again, we have different mandates for different sets of workers, and that may be a future problem. So all of these mandates contain one common element, and that is that there are carve-outs, what the law calls exemptions or exceptions, under two basic categories, those involving a medical condition under the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Rehab Act, and for religious beliefs. So as I said at the top, that's what we're seeing so many of our clients really grappling with because so many people are, frankly, coming out of the woodwork saying, I have a religious exemption particularly. But let's spend a little bit of time and unpack what those exemptions are, what the requirement is, and how folks are struggling with them. So Bert, let's hit the medical one first, but I want to really bear down on religion, but let's touch on medical. Okay, very briefly, you know, first and most common in the past has been the medical exemption for federal employees and for federal and the employees of federal contractors. There is an exemption. It is very limited. You must be medically unable to take the vaccine, allergy, other contraindications. It has to be certified by a physician. The government has supplied a form, and I advise you to look at that form because it's probably going to be a template for everybody that has anything to do with these mandates. For employees of federal contractors, the same kind of medical accommodation must be provided. But as Nita pointed out, in the absence of testing or being able to work off the job as an accommodation, staying home is not an option. And it may be an undue hardship for someone who must be in the workplace to be off the workplace. And that might lead to the separation of a worker. And we'll get to that. That's just one of the many complications these exemptions create. So let's talk then about the other real driver of of these exemptions, which is on for religious purposes. And again, this is based on statute, Title VII been a longstanding part of Title VII. So religion is a protected category, just like race, just like sex. All the categories we think of as so-called EEO categories, where religion is also protected, meaning you cannot discriminate in terms and conditions of employment based on an individual's religion or religion practices. So let's start with the basics. The religion is a sincerely held belief that's religious in nature. It's very broad, and the EEOC has defined that. And basically, what the law requires is that when someone says, look, I can't comply with a workplace requirement because it conflicts with religion, is the employer then is required to see whether the workplace requirement can be modified, accommodated, if you will, to take into account the limitation posed by the religious belief so that we still would allow the religious belief to carry forward and allow the individual to work in the workplace. That's, at the end of the day, what accommodation is supposed to be. And a very common historical one has been when individuals express, uh, because of a religious practice and belief, are unable to perform work on a certain day of the week, say Saturdays, because it's the Sabbath day. Often the request is a simple one, can we rearrange work schedules such that the individual 
doesn't have to work on Saturday, but otherwise can work and be fully contributing. The law is reasonably well established on that and uh, that you, you can do that. So let's talk a little bit why, if that's so well established, why is the vaccine posing so many problems and so many questions? The real reason I think, David, that this one is taking is so difficult for employers is the fact that it appears all of a sudden people who could take any vaccine, any medicines now find themselves with a religious objection to this vaccine. And I think employers, there is, as you mentioned, for the medical exemption, there's also a federal worker uh, religious exemption and the government for federal workers is going to ask some very specific questions. And many employers who are federal contractors should as well. When was the last time you took a vaccine? Did you object to any vaccine? And also what types of medicine will you not take as a result of your uh, religious uh, beliefs? And I think, David, that's going to be a very important point for employers who want to look behind those beliefs. But what about those who don't want to look behind those beliefs, David? How should they handle it? Well, that sort of goes to the question, and Nita, what this sets up is that there is, of course, kind of a two-step process. The first is, is there a bona fide religious belief? And the questions you outlined really allow an employer to explore that, or do we just take that at the person's word? The EEOC has issued guidance saying that we're supposed to do an individualized assessment. So that suggests, as does the federal questionnaire that they're applying for their own workforce, contractors should be engaging in some assessment of whether there's a religious belief. Then, of course, if there is a belief, then we have to get into whether the exemption can apply. But the religious belief, I think, has gotten a little more clouded with some of the other more recent pronouncements by the states and others that have tried to expand this Title VII religious protection. You know the old expression of don't mess with Texas? Well, Texas has kind of messed things up. Texas has issued its own executive order that appears to establish personal conscience as a reason for objection. The exact words of the exemption are kind of interesting. Someone may refuse a vaccination, I quote, for any reason of personal conscience, comma, based on a religious belief, comma, or for medical reasons. And I don't know, are those to be read together? Does your personal is your personal conscience based on a religious belief or is it independent? Litigation has already been filed. I think uh, David and Nita have both talked about the relationship between federal and state laws. This is gonna be played out, but the big problem for employers in Texas is what do they do now? And that's a question that hasn't been answered. Many are complying in the interim, since after all the federal mandates take months to become effective. But this is one of the continuing issues that we're going to be confronting. And David and Bert, now what Texas has started, Florida and other states are rolling out. And Montana is one state that has a complete ban on private employers requiring a vaccine of their employees. So litigation is coming. But David, let's turn to the second part. As you mentioned, these religious exemptions are two-part test. Part number one is what we just discussed. Is there sincerely held religious belief? The second part is, can the employer accommodate that religious belief? So, David, can you talk a little bit about the difference between a religious reasonable accommodation and what we think of with the ADA? 
Sure, I'd be happy to. So assuming that they were going to either accept that they have a sincerely held religious belief or find that they do, then the question is, can we accommodate it? How do we accommodate it? And we go back again, the law on this is pretty well established. I mean, there's a Supreme Court case, gosh, all the way back from 1977, TWA versus Hardison, for those that, that want to look at it. It really laid out the standard that has been followed consistently by the EEOC and its guidance and others. And it makes a distinction between the level of burden that accommodations under the ADA that Bird addressed earlier and what is an undue burden. So really, the key for religion is it's what we call de minimis. If there's almost any burden at all is viewed as being sufficient to excuse having to accommodate the religious belief. So stepping out of the vaccine mandate, if I would violate a seniority requirement by allowing a person to work, not work on Saturday and require others to work on Saturday, I would not be required to do that. And so there's a wide range, a wide range of alternatives that may be discussed, but the employer can say, look, I'm sorry, I can't accommodate that. I can't accommodate you not being vaccinated because my customer, the U.S. government, requires you to be vaccinated. And I don't have any other assignment for you to do except for to work on this government contract. That leads us to the EEOC's guidance, David and Bert, where the EEOC issued in May of this year as vaccines started to roll out guidance for on this very issue of the types of reasonable accommodations. Although they went through this whole discussion of how the TWA standard is not nearly as burdensome to employers as our ADA standard, they still laid out some things that you can do they figure to be reasonable accommodations. One, work from home. Work from home is not an option under the federal contractor vaccine mandate because those people are supposed to be covered. There's another option, reassignment. What if you're a federal contractor whose employees are all covered by the vaccine mandate? There's no way to reassign. And many companies, a reassignment might require them to be in a different state for that matter. So that leads to where is this all going to go for purposes of how employers are going to be able to reasonably accommodate? You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and I think a lot of employers are thinking about, is how this is going to play out in fact. Uh, One of the problems, as you've heard, there are different rules for different kinds of workers, many of them doing the same or similar job, and the lack of consistency in treatment between various classes of workers. We haven't even talked about visitors and independent contractors who apparently can do whatever they want, don't have to be vaccinated, don't have to attest. And I think that conflict, that inconsistency is bound to be the basis of many legal challenges going forward. And we have yet to hear a rationale from the government explaining that if the basis for all of this is to protect workers from getting COVID and eradicating the disease. Why they have these inconsistencies, why they have these different treatments. And I think that's gonna be one of the preeminent legal issues that the courts are gonna be compelled to deal with in the coming months. Well, I certainly think it kind of hot boxes employers, honestly, that wanna kind of, if you will, hold the line and view the, uh, say, look, it's a slight burden and it will interfere with my ability to perform the federal contract. I cannot accommodate you. I'm, I'm going to put you on unpaid leave or let you go because you can't work on the contract 
then to find others that aren't subject to that same requirement very well may be thrown back at them in the context of an EEOC proceeding or other charge. We have asked, and a number of stakeholders have asked, the federal government to please clarify this, provide some guidance so that with a level of certainty and confidence, we can roll out when we implement these requirements. But so far, honestly, that's been a little bit lacking. And the the final point I would make is granting widespread religious exemptions. And in certain sectors, certain parts of our country, there are numerous people in a workforce. It's not a small percentage who are saying, I am exempt. What do we do then if we can no longer perform the contract because a significant portion of our workforce cannot meet the requirement? And I just was presenting at the AGC conference with my colleague, Liz Bradley, and that is the major question they have because so many of their employees are not vaccinated and they work outside. Why do they have to be vaccinated since they're working outside and there's a very little risk? They're terrified they're going to lose workers. What do they do, David and Bert, when they cannot perform the contract because they don't have anybody? Right. And AGC, uh, for those Uh, That's the Association of uh, General Contractors. So that's the construction industry and what they're worrying about. But boy, they're not unique, but they're representative of exactly the concerns we're hearing across many, many industries. So we have a lot of uncertainty, but unfortunately, our client and the employer community still has to plow forward, uncertainty or not. What are the takeaways? What do we do in response to Let me lead that off because it's probably the number one issue. And, you know, with the growing number of workers that are seeking a religious exemption, employers have to determine how they're going to handle those requests, and they have to do so now. Please don't wait till it happens. Understand the issue, understand the applicable rules, and in this case, until we get rulings federal and state, and determine how you wish to approach this issue. Into which category do you fit? Are you threatened by walkouts and resignations, or are you in a different category? But start thinking and addressing the problem, believe it or not, right now, the minute we're done, because if you wait till later, you probably be passed up by events. That's right, Bert. You only have six weeks in which basically to get everybody vaccinated or figure out how you're going to accommodate any of these requirements. And many, as we were talking about the Association of General Contractors, They have reached out through their association to ask for guidance from the federal government. They've sent letters to OMB and the other federal government's agencies to try to figure out how they're going to manage this, especially around the reasonable accommodation requirements. Now, the final thing, and I think complementing, Nita, what you've just laid out for us, is that individual companies can reach out to their federal contracting officer and confer with them, say, look, we understand these requirements, the federal contracting obligations kick in for work performed on and after December 8th. We understand that what the requirement is, we're telling you we may have 25% of our workforce that says they're subject to a religious exemption. We're not going to be able to accommodate all that. And bottom line, we may not be able to perform. Can we talk about whether there's an exigent circumstances that allows 60 days? Are you going to be enforcing this right away? In other words, Get some guidance, confer with your customer, because it's the federal government that has imposed the standards. It's the federal government that will be primarily enforcing the standards. So I think it's a good practice early and often to confer with your leading uh, contracting agencies that you're involved with. All right. Well, 
I think that we're in good shape on that. Few answers, a few issues that we'll continue monitoring. Thanks again, both Nita and Bert. Another great session. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening. 